Mama, we're all full of lies Mama, we're meant for the flies And right now they're building a coffin your size Mama, we're all full of lies Chapter 10 Marco! Tobias snapped. A second step. A third! Axe! Suddenly, there was an andalite tail blade at my throat. I stopped. No, Marco! Axe said calmly. This air one will be back in your mother's head the second she senses any danger. And you could not open those locks with force. They are no doubt controlled by a brainwave interface, so that the Yurk can maintain control even outside your mother's body. I grabbed his tail and tried to shove it away. But an andalite tail is nothing but one long, coiled muscle. It moved about three inches. Marco, stop it! Tobias said. Back off and think about it. Right now, she's turned away, so she can't see you. You step into her line of sight... She'll know! I stopped trying to push Axe's tail away. We're here to investigate, Marco. Tobias said gently. Not the time, my friend. No matter how much you want it to be, this isn't the time. What if you fail, Marco? Axe asked. If you reveal yourself, but are unable to stop the Yurk from re-entering her, what then, Marco? My mother was locked in a vice, three feet away from me. Maybe X was wrong. Maybe I could release the clamp. Maybe... I stepped back. I felt like dirt. She was right there. Free, if only for a moment. I could tell her I was okay. I could tell her... Nothing. I could tell her nothing. X was probably right. I would not have been able to free her. Visser 1 would reinfest. Security would be breached. Our secret revealed. And then? And then we would have to destroy the innocent as well as the guilty. It made sense. It was the cold, calculated, smart thing to do. I wiped my hand over my face. It came away wet. What's that? In the corner, I whispered, distracting myself. Surveillance and Communications Equipment It was a console about the size of an upright piano. On top sat a satellite dish, pointed toward the outside window. In the middle of the console was a large screen, and on that screen were images that seemed to have been shot from above. Images that were disturbingly familiar. Images of free hork one knows about the hork colony, Tobias said grimly. That's what she's up to. Handheld Dracon weapons over there. Surveillance devices. A portable yerk pool. Axe observed, looking around the room with his stalk eyes. Everything the Visser needs for gorilla action. That briefcase, by the side of the yerk pool, Tobias said. Is that what she was carrying this morning, Marco? 
Yeah, and there's another one on the desk by the window, I whispered. Emergency Kenjona Particle Generators, Axe surmised. One use each. It appears the Visser has only six days to finish whatever it is she started. Rotten hell! It was said softly, but ferociously. We froze. My mother's voice! But who was she talking to? To us? Did she know we were there? Had she heard us? No. No, of course. She was talking to the Yurk. It must have begun to reinfest her. The room started to tremble. I jumped, startled out of my trance. What? Tobias demanded. Out of here, I hissed. We darted through a second door, into a small, private bathroom. Bam! Even in the bathroom, I felt the shock of the blow. Someone or something slamming the office door with the force of a battering ram. Bam! Bam! The Yurks, I said. They're here to kill her. Then they will be doing our job for us, Axe answered coldly. Not while I stand around and watch, I said. The person in the next room is not your mother. It is Visser One. She will kill you the first chance she gets. I ignored him. Gorilla. It was my favorite power morph, and I was ready to bust some heads. If I couldn't save my mother from her yurk, at least I could save her from whoever was trying to kill Visser One. You are being extremely foolish, Axe said. Bull, you're letting your hatred of Yurks get in the way. If Visser 3 is trying to kill Visser 1, there may be an opening for us. An opportunity? Tobias said thoughtfully. Maybe, Axe allowed. But Prince Jake said we were not to... Blame me, I muttered. We will, Tobias said with a laugh. Wham! The outer door crashed in. The familiar sound of Dracon beams firing. I opened the bathroom door. In the office, total chaos. The viscera had freed my mother's body from the pool, and she was crushed behind the surveillance console. She was firing a Dracon beam. A Hork-Bajir was staggering back, a burning hole in its chest. But more were pushing through the doorway. Party time, I said, now fully gorilla. I opened the bathroom door and barreled out. Visser 1 shot a surprised glance at me. She hesitated. Should she shoot? Two huge hork rushed her. She turned her attention back to them. Too late! A bladed arm swung. It was meant to remove my mother's arm. It missed and knocked the weapon from her hands. She was helpless. The hork leaned close. Boomph! My fist flattened the snout of the hork He staggered back. Visser 1 dived for her dracon beam. Axe leapt from the bathroom. Underlight! One of the hork yelled in shock. Thwap! Axe's tailblade did to the hork what he'd intended doing to my mom. But the hork were still coming. There were four in the room, more outside. <coughs> Tobias flapped, talons out. A flurry of russet feathers, and the hork fell back, clutching his eyes. We fought our way through the stunned aliens, Smashing and slashing. And then, out of the corner of my eye, I saw Visser 1 level her Dracon beam. At me! Too far away for me to reach her. 
Axe! I yelled. Whap! The bullwhip fast tail slammed the portable Condrona and knocked it into her head. Rather stupid, Visser, since we are attempting to save your life, he said to her. I don't take help from Andalites, she screamed in rage. But her weapon was out of reach. Horkbajir blocked any hope of retrieving it. The Visser turned and ran into the bathroom. I jumped to my feet, just in time, for an injured Horkbajir flailing blindly was about to cut a deep gash in my side. I grabbed it by one of its arms and flung it into a wall. I sunk my fist into a second Horkbajir, and Tobias did his own damage, but it was Axe who was winning this fight. His tail was whipping left, right, too fast for the eye to follow. The Horkbajir fell back before him, fell back fighting at first, then in panic. They fought to get back out through the door. I grabbed the splintered mess of door and shoved it back in place. I gave Axe a look. Dude, I think you really scared them. We obviously took them by surprise, he said modestly. I hear chopper blades, Tobias said, Hawkhead cocked. Is it a getaway or reinforcements? Don't know. Marco, open that window for me. I picked up a chair and threw it against the window. It shattered. In high-rise office buildings, the windows don't open, I said. Tobias flew out through the shards of glittering glass. He reported immediately, They're out of here! Die, Endolite! The bathroom door flew open. An arm was raised. A frail-looking arm. With a not-at-all-frail-looking dragon beam. She'd stashed a weapon in the bathroom! The light beams were aimed dead center at Axe, but Axe wasn't there by the time she pulled the trigger. I dove for the floor and shot forward, sliding on spilt Horkbajir blood. The Visser was crouched behind the surveillance console again, hate in her eyes. In my massive fist, I grabbed one of the Visser's enormous briefcases and blocked a shot aimed at my head. With all the power of my gorilla muscles and all the rage of a kid bent on revenge, I leapt forward tumbled over the surveillance console, and onto Visser 1. Woomph! 400 pounds of muscle and flesh, crushing my mother's slim human body. I stood up, yanked her to her feet, calmly disarmed her, and tossed the weapon aside. I put her in an arm lock. A gentle arm lock. We save your regrettable life, and you try to kill us! Axe sneered. You are a perfect representative of your species. So why don't you kill me? Visser once spat. Arrogant Andalite filth! Why don't you kill me now? As you wish, Axe said, nodding to me. For my part, I say, kill her. Chapter 11 Kill her now. Axe said in public thought speak. But in a private aside, heard only by me and Tobias, he added, I am speaking only for dramatic effect, of course, but it would be good for the Yurk to be frightened. I tightened my grip, let her feel the irresistible power in my arms. I resisted the urge to cry, I'm sorry, Mom. Stop, the visitor screamed. Don't kill me. I relaxed my massive arms. My mother's human body slumped. I could hear her labored breathing, 
See her shoulder blades through the thin silk blouse she wore. Why shouldn't we kill you? Axe taunted. You, Yurks, killed my brother, Elfangor. Elfangor's brother? I might have known some branch of his squalid, cowardly family still lived. But it was Visser Three who ended Elfangor's evil life. He's the one you want. And so do I. I want him dead as much as you do. Not that I wouldn't have been proud to claim Alfanger as my own victim. I'm going to let her go, I said. I couldn't hold her any longer. I was halfway between a loving hug and a furious strangle. She may still have concealed weapons, Axe said privately. Hey, I am not frisking my own mother. She's not carrying anything, Tobias said. I'd see it. I let her go. She straightened her blonde wig and took a few deep breaths. I knocked the wig from her head with a sudden backhand. I don't know why. The visser. My mother. Shot me a look of cold amusement. Gentle and alight warrior, she said mockingly. You're alive, so be quiet. I snapped. I won't be alive for long, she said, suddenly weary. Visser Three has accused me of treason. Now once his Hortbegir report, he'll have the proof he can take to the Council of Thirteen. They've issued a gashad, a warrant to kill me on sight. Tobias flew over to the photographs we'd seen earlier. What were you up to? She laughed. And wouldn't you like to know its every detail? Yes, we would, Axe said. And you will tell us, or you will die. I'm already dead. Your plan must involve discrediting Visser Three, Axe said. We might help. If it were Visser Three with the gashad on his head, your own head would be more secure. Her dark eyes glittered. You help me destroy Visser Three, then you destroy me. Is that the plan? Yes, I said bluntly. She laughed derisively. The truth. You do me the honor of not taking me for a fool. And if you get the chance, you will destroy Visser Three and then us, I said. She leaned close, bringing her face so close to mine. Yes, I will. No, Yurk, Axe said. You will tell us your story. I would advise hurrying. Visser Three's forces will be back. I watched as my mother's body straightened. Her voice was calm, unemotional. I had returned to Earth to construct an underwater facility. It would produce a host body useful for the invasion of Lyra. But, as you Endolites know, that facility was destroyed. I was disgraced. I was demoted to sub visor rank. But Visor Three set out to complete my destruction. He told anyone who would listen that I was a traitor. The Council of Thirteen believed him and issued the Gashad. I have been in hiding ever since. Yet, here you are, on Earth, seemingly alone, Axe said. No doubt there is a ship in orbit, and perhaps a bugfighter hidden here on the planet. No doubt you have more of the emergency conjoiner generators on board. The Visser shook her head. I'm not leading you to my ship, Endolite. Before I knew what I was doing, 
Before I had time to think, I snatched up the portable conjona and slammed it hard on the floor. Tell her, tick-tock, Axe, I said. A good tactical move, the visitor said. Shorten my time. Make me desperate. But it won't work. We'll see, I muttered. What is your plan, Yerk? Axe pressed. What information do you have on Visser 3 that could redeem you in the eyes of the Council of Thirteen? Visser 1 relaxed my mother's body against the shot-up surveillance console. For a moment, she looked as innocent as a third-grade teacher, about to tell a folksy story about the young Abe Lincoln. Free hork she said simply. Visser 3 has allowed escaped hork to start a colony right under his nose. But the Yurks have enslaved the entire hork population, Axe replied. There are no free hork left in the galaxy, much less here on Earth. Don't play dumb with me, the visitor said. It's the one thing we admire about you Endolites, your intelligence. Where did you get this theory of yours? Axe demanded. That's my business, visitor 1 shrugged. There are all sorts of ways to figure out what is going on underground, if you have the mental acuity, which Visser 3 most assuredly does not. Tell me, Endolite, the Visser continued, how did your brother, the mighty Alfangor, succumb to so flawed and incompetent a yerk as Visser 3? I could ask you the same thing, Axe replied calmly. I know the importance of revenge to the Endolite culture, Visser 1 said. Visser 3 killed your brother. You are honor-bound to kill him. I can make that happen. For a price, Axe said. For a price, she agreed. What price? I asked. The hork colony. Give me the free hork I will give you Visser 3. Chapter 12 a moment of silence. Tell her we agree, I told Axe privately. Tobias erupted. Are you insane? There's no way we're giving up the hork No, we won't. But she doesn't know that. She thinks we're Andalites. You know the one word Yurks always use in describing Andalites? Ruthless. That's what they think. She'll buy it. Axe said... That is all you ask, Yurk, the free hork He laughed. I was concerned you might demand something of value. We have a deal? Axe said. Tobias? You had so better know what you're doing, Marco, my man. Tobias said to me. This is way beyond anything Jake and the others have approved. We're doing a deal with the enemy. You want Visser 3? I shot back. She can give us Visser 3. And then she replaces him, Tobias said. I know Axe's motive here. He has a personal score with Visser 3. The question is, do you have a personal problem here as well? It's a good strategy, Tobias. You know I'm good at that. You know I'm good at seeing the main chance. Yeah, you are. But that's your mother. I couldn't argue with that. Jake left it up to you, Tobias. 
Tobias laughed without any humor. He'd better not be playing us, Marco. If it comes down to it, Visser 1, no matter what host body, is meat. You know that, right? You're clear on that. I'm clear, I said. Okay, Axeman, Tobias said. We have a deal, Axe said. Tell me where to find the free Orc-Bajir. You will be given that information when the time comes, Axe said. Once Visser 3 is exposed, I will kill him. That way, you will have not committed treason by murdering a full Visser, and I will have achieved my sworn revenge. One more thing. You and the rest of your gang will be there. I will need you to help me eliminate the free Orc-Bajir. I am one person, all alone. Axe started to answer. I stopped him. Agree, Axe. What? Tobias demanded. Alone my butt, I said. She has some kind of force. She's too calm, too relaxed about Visser 3 trying another attacker. She already has her forces nearby. Agree to what she asks. A hork bajir is a hork bajir, Axe said indifferently. No more than animals to us. Contact me when you're ready, she said. How? She smiled then. A smile that was my mother's smile. Again, I felt the opposite urges. To cry and to destroy. I have email. She laughed and told us the address. Then, she narrowed her eyes and looked at us, each, one after the other. One of you does almost all the talking. Two of you stay in Morph. Visser Three is a fool. He has overlooked something strange about your group of rebels. He has missed something. She grinned a savage grin. But don't worry. When I am returned to power, I will figure it out. And then... She made a gun hand, pointed it at my head, and said, And then... Two. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. Alright, I got a whole bunch of uh, messages in, so we're gonna just skip the preamble, we're just gonna get right on into it. Uh, we're gonna start with the Tumblr, that's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. The first uh, question coming in is uh, from Willis, who writes, Speaking of books with other narrators, a book from Visser Force perspective would be interesting. Do the opposite of what you suggested with David. Instead instead of using it to humanize him, just deepen his villainy. Uh, P.S. Done with COVID. I do have an annoying sore throat slash cough that won't go away. But besides that, I'm doing good. Uh, glad to hear that you're over uh, COVID, Willis, uh, and that you're doing okay. Uh, here's hoping that it stays that way. It's still a very scary disease. Um, uh, I don't... Hmm. Let me think about Visser 4 for a sec, because that was... Uh, that's time travel, right? We just covered him in Megamorphs 3. Uh, I think it would be interesting, uh, just because of, uh, how he's situated within the Yurk Empire. It would have given us a better insight into the Yurk Empire and also their off-world, um, projects. I don't think Visser 4 as a character I found especially compelling. Um, he was just sort of a petty, mean Yurk, but 
Uh, I, I do wish we could have gotten a bit more of the alien stuff in Animorphs, but I under, also understand that uh, that wasn't the focus of the series. Um, as far as using a POV for David to m deepen the villainy, I, I guess. Mm, see, the thing is that, like, it's gotta be that tightrope, right? Uh, at least for me, uh, when, when I push the David trilogy and David. He's got to be nasty enough that we don't feel terrible about his fate. But he can't be so irredeemable. He can't be like kicking the puppy evil. Because um, then that robs the action of the moral weight that it has. Um, and so I think I think Applegate hit it pretty on target. I think it's right around where it should be as far as his characterization. I don't know that I need him to be more evil or more good. Um, I was just talking aloud about the logistics. I feel like often when you enter a perspective, you can't help but empathize with that character um, a little more, even when they're not supposed to be a uh, likable or or a character you empathize with or or not empathize with um because that's just a human trait you have but uh isn't a character you're supposed to want to succeed i suppose um and and sometimes the the innate human uh ability to empathize is so strong that i feel like oftentimes when when movies uh and shows and books create a character that you aren't so that like an anti-hero or an antagonistic protagonist um Walter White I think is a great example from Breaking Bad a lot of people still empathized very heavily with Walter White to the point where it sort of feels like maybe they missed um the point of the show uh I know there was just some Starship Trooper discourse going on recently on Twitter I saw I scrolled past I didn't engage with that didn't want it but that's that's my thoughts on putting it in his perspective. I think that we would just naturally want to empathize with him once we're in his shoes. And, and it would make it a little, little trickier to stick the landing. Uh, I also got an anonymous message that says, Hey, I'm going to the store. Do you want anything? Yeah, can I get some gallon Ziploc bags? That's not a joke. That was on my shopping list and I forgot it last time I was at the store. Um, and then I have one from Edney. See, I got a lot. Got to clip through. Um, that says... Just finished episode 333. I'm literally sobbing. I know I would get the whole human race killed, frowny face. I'm sorry, y'all. Also, how scary is it that there's a portable yerk pool? This has me nauseous. I honestly think it was a good thing I didn't read this in elementary school. I was a little cracked then. I would be telling everyone and they mama they could that I could turn into animals. Uh, and then like, uh, skull. Uh, great episode, signed Edney. Thank you for writing in. Um, episode thir thir uh, 333, I believe that was last week's episode, um, I believe you're referring to, I, I put the episode numbers on and then I don't remember them myself, isn't that funny? Um, I believe you're referring to, you know, just, just now when Marco saw his mom chained to the Yurk pool, and I agree, um, that's, it's a difficult situation, I don't know that they handled it right, uh, well, I guess they're... No, no, Axe saw Dracon beams. They should have grabbed a Dracon beam and they should have superheated the pool like Jake did in whichever book uh, way back when, when he jacuzzied a bunch of yurks. Um, easy answer to getting Marco's mom free, in my opinion. But um, for the sake of the plot and the story, we'll say Cryx stuck his little finger on the weights there and made sure they didn't think of that. Um, all right, so thank you for writing in, Andy. And now uh, we got to switch over to... The Gmail, that's audiomorphscast at gmail.com, and I'll read this one first because this one's unrelated, and then um, everyone who's sick to death about hearing about war atrocities can log off. Um, but this one's from Tank, our buddy in Australia, 
who writes, Greetings, Daniel. I hope you are well. I have returned from the past. I have listened to all the short episodes on Spotify. Definitely a time capsule of events, and leaps and bounds in quality and confidence. Oh, thank you. Keep up uh, the good work. I've attached a few photos from work while my phone wasn't overheating in the 33 Celsius to 45 degrees Celsius. And then, very courteously, because Tank knows I'm a, I'm a filthy American, he's translated that into Fahrenheit for me. That's 91 to 115 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, that's hot, people. <laughs> Being in the truck without air conditioning was a struggle, but onions need catering. Or uh, carding, excuse me. Also, some photos of crabbing with my two kids, with a third mini-morph on the way. I wonder if my wife will like Aximili Eskarov Istel as a name. Good luck in the job hunt. Uh, if you were closer... Uh, if you were closer, I'd definitely stick you in a tractor. Till next time, my name is Tank, and I believe the Andalites will come. Till then, we fight. Great hearing from you again, Tank. Uh, love the photos. Love seeing your life on the farm. Uh, cool crab your kids got there. Uh, and congratulations on the third one on the way. Uh, that's very exciting. Fun fact, uh, I have a younger sister, uh, and I was, I want to say, around... Uh, no, I would have been younger than 12, because my brother is 12 years younger than me. Uh, I would have been probably, like, nine at this point, um, uh, when, when my mom was pregnant, and they were trying to pick baby names, and, of course, I'm nine years old, and it is at the height of the Pokemon craze, uh, so I very slyly tried to get my sister named, uh, Clefairy. Uh, my parents didn't go for it, though, thankfully. <laughs> Um, but, uh, just to relate on, uh, dudes giving bad baby name suggestions. <laughs> uh, also, man, hot out there in Australia, huh? Keep cool, keep safe, keep hydrated. Uh, thanks so much for writing in, Tank. Um, and now I have, uh, a message from, uh, Gabri Gabby, who, uh, wrote once to me way, way back, uh, I'm looking at this date here, in 2021. Uh, she graciously con uh, attached an email to continue the conversation because she switched emails. Um, and I had forgotten about this, but uh, she says, uh, I'm always struck by how particularly gross Marco's morphs are when he narrates. After your question last week, Ari, favorite narrators, I got to thinking, do you think K.A. Applegate tailored morphing descriptions to the narrator? For my headcanon, it works that Marco... Likely the most aware of body horror films and gross-out humor, and self-conscious in a way that others aren't, has the most disgusting description, e.g. his arms seal to his sides and then migrate to his back, and then like a pukey emoji. Even if technically he isn't any worse at morphing than Rachel slash Jake slash Tobias slash Axe, obviously, it's not really fair to include Cassie since she's repeatedly compared to an Estrine. Uh, all of that said, other morphed descriptions never seem to be as detailed as Marco's, so I've never noticed them enough to differentiate, differentiate them at all, so maybe I'm overthinking it. Uh, okie dokie, that's all for now. Signed, Gabby. Um, thanks so much for writing, Gabby. Great to hear from you again. Uh, you know, I've never noticed that about Marco's narration. Um, I, to be honest, body, body horror's never been really, like, my jam. It's not like, ew, gross, I don't want to see it, but it's just like not, not something that's ever really grabbed me as a, a horror element uh, that I'm attracted to. And so I tend to sort of like skim and like check out my brain when the morphing description is going on. Uh, I know it's coming. Once a book, we do a detailed morphing description. I'm like, all right, I'll be here a while, shrinking, moving, arm, moving arms, crunching, squelch, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, honestly, I don't know. Uh, other readers, 
Uh, chime in if you think Marco's descriptions are more detailed or more graphic than the others. I uh, hadn't noticed. I will say, I think Kay Applegate has a really excellent handle on the voice for each of these characters. So it would not surprise me if Marco's descriptions are a little uh, ooey gooier than the others. Um, I think you you have uh, some good justifications for it, uh, being most aware of body horror films, which, yeah, he's a uh avid cable watcher and definitely the kind of guy who's seen uh you know alien and everything like that um even though he's 12 um gross out humor yep that's very marco and he's self-conscious oh yeah you know he he knows he's short so he's like very aware of his body those are all good reasons me personally i think that um because these books the framing devices that they are like writing it down in a word journal or somehow um relaying the story back to the reader in some format and so I think that's just Marco's flair of storytelling that he would like get very graphic and um, specific with how gross the morphing is. Because I think that sort of thing would appeal to him in telling a story uh, to get the reaction out of the reader. That's my that's my theory on it, at least. Um, if anyone else allows, you know, please write in. And here we go. Uh, we're going to talk about Palestine again. I said we wouldn't, but, you know, then you all keep writing in. So this is from Sean. Um... We'll read it through and then we'll break it down, right? Uh, we're already at hmm, 11 minutes. Uh, <laughs> again, you can uh, you can turn this off because um, this is going to be the rest of the episode. So uh, briefly, I mentioned two ways to get in contact with me. Uh, that's audiomorphscast at gmail.com and audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. You can also do it on my website, theapodclips.com. That's theapodclips, like apocalypse with a D in the middle. You can also tweet at me at audiomorphs. Um, and you should check there if I'm ever late uploading, which I might be today because I'll be answering this. And I didn't think about the timing. I shouldn't have been playing video games earlier. Uh-oh. All right. So, Sean writes in and says, Daniel, I'm a longtime listener uh, to the podcast. I was listening to episode 331, in which you made comments on the situation of Israel-Palestine based on a message from a listener. I feel some of your statements come across very disingenuous at best and problematic at worst. I do believe that everyone is allowed to have their own opinion on the matter. However, I also think that taking the stance of Palestine good guys, Israel bad guys is wrong. Waving off the massacre because of the extreme response by the IDF is a pretty terrible stance to take. Mentioning the attack on the hospital without mentioning that this hospital was also a military facility, using patients as human shields, therefore forfeiting the protections that the hospitals received from international law is simply wrong. You mentioned that Hamas is giving terms for release of the hostages, but those terms were declined, but failed to mention that Hamas has failed to maintain their end of the deal for hostage releases several times at this point. If Hamas has proven not to be bargaining in good faith, why should Israel continue to make deals when Hamas go through on their end? Yes, it's terrible that the conflict has occurred in an area with such high volume of civilian casualties. It is not only possible, but nearly unavoidable. However, this is because Hamas has chosen to hide in highly populated civilian centers and make hospitals into bases, stored weapons, run schools, blah, 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 blah. Uh, additionally, hardly a days go by where conflict started, where weapons haven't been fired from Palestine into a Israeli civilian centers has been going on for years. The fact that there is no right side of the conflict. Yes, Palestinians lost land and property to settlers, but they also conquered the region when they arrived. I do agree that a two-state solution situation is likely not possible at this point. However, I disagree that the state of Israel should be dissolved, as Israel is not the aggressor in this situation as previous, or in the previous ones. They have, however, gained territory each time they attacked. At this point, there isn't a simple solution to the conflict, as there is too much existing bad blood. However, maybe a good start would be for external powers such as the United States on Israel's side and Iran on Palestine's side to stop providing weapons and empowering both sides to murder civilians. I'm not saying that Palestinian civilians don't deserve safety, 
just that such a stance, uh, just that a stance such as the one you presented doesn't really tell the whole story. Palestine isn't a group of victims. That said, I'm always open for discussion. Best, Sean. P.S. Keep, keep up what you're doing. Even though we may disagree on the situation, I still like and appreciate work. Uh, Sean, this was two days ago you sent this. That's way too late to be sending this, buddy. Um, you're wrong. You're full of propaganda. Uh, you are... I'm, and I'm frankly done being nice about this subject because uh, what's happening there is undeniably... Ooh, loud car. Uh, undeniably, undeniably crimes against humanity. Undeniably, Israel is in the wrong. Undeniably, Israel must be stopped. Um, putting aside, I'm going to address all the things you just said, but, uh, Rafa is currently being bombed into oblivion, uh, with 1.2 million, what was it, 1.2 million people jammed in there? Uh, it's the size of Heathrow Airport. They're launching rockets into there. Uh, dead children are hanging off walls. You know, I, I'm done being polite about this. Israel must be stopped. All right, now let's talk about your um, many numerous incorrect points. Um, you say, waving off the massacre because of extreme response by the IDF is a pretty terrible stance to take. Um, I don't know how. I don't know how it's a wrong stance to say you shouldn't kill children. You're wrong. Mentioning that the attack on the hospital, without mentioning this hospital is also a military facility, etc., etc., etc. Hey, buddy, they've bombed, like, 20 hospitals now. They were all Hamas hospitals. They're lying, and you're buying their lies. You're either buying their lies or you're helping them create these lies. Uh, it's one of the two, because at this point, you can't seriously believe, if you have done any research into what's happened in Palestine, that these are all Hamas centers. You're full of crap. Um, yeah, the, also the fact that you think it's, I was talking about a hospital and not the hospitals. The many multiple hospitals that they have destroyed. I have seen footage of doctors dodging sniper shots to try to retrieve injured Palestinians. Don't give me that crap. Uh, Hamas hostage, blah, blah, blah. Uh, if Hamas isn't bargaining, then why should Israel? Because uh, I thought Israel had the higher moral ground. I don't fuck. I mean, I don't know. You tell me. Uh, if hostages are so important, they should be trying to do something uh, instead of slaughtering civilians. Uh, and then... Yeah, you just say more lies about um, the reason Hamas live in highly populated civilian centers is because there's no more room in, in Gaza. They've already been displaced so much. Uh, this, th this is their home. What do you want? They're insurgent fighters. This is their home. Of course, that's where they live. Uh, that's not an excuse to mass slaughter children um, at a rate unprecedented in any other modern war. It's disgusting. Um... You also very smartly say, additionally, hardly a day goes by, even before this conflict started, that weapons haven't been fired from Palestine into Israeli centers. Uh, I don't care. I, I truly, I don't care. Uh, Israeli, the brutality of Israel toward Palestine has been well documented for 75 years. Uh, this, is, this is what resistance looks like. Sorry to, that you had to learn this way. Um, the fact that they fire rockets into Israel and then get met with the most one of the most advanced uh, rocket systems in the world uh, billions of dollars of armaments I don't I mean talk about David and Goliath it's it's fucking what you're saying is a joke I'm sorry uh, also <laughs> uh, yes Palestinians lost lands and properties to settlers but they also conquered the region when they arrived when they arrived 3,000 years what are you talking about they are uh, indigenous to the area 
Uh, this is more Zionist propaganda, more Zionist lies. This is straight up and down, untrue. Um, you then say you do agree that this two-state solution is not possible, but you disagree that the state of Israel should be dissolved as Israel is not the aggressor. That's untrue. Um, they literally, you literally agreed that they colonized this land. How are they not the aggressor? You literally said one sentence ago that they took this land and settled it from the Palestinians. Of course they're their aggressor. And the fact that you think that no, a two-state solution shouldn't exist, but Israel should, means that you are calling for the destruction of Palestine. Uh, and that's not something I'm down for. You even say uh, that they have gained territory each time they were attacked. Like, is it, is, are the dots not connecting there? I, I don't understand how, like, this isn't clear to you. Palestinians don't have rights in Israel. It's an apartheid state. This, they are, they're in court, in their international court right now, defending their actions uh, from accusations of genocide as they slaughter children. Again, I cannot emphasize enough how many children they have killed. Uh, you should all go look up the LA Times op-ed from the surgeon who went to uh, Gaza to help and how he describes seeing five-year-olds with sniper bullets in their foreheads, because that is what Israel is doing. I don't want to hear it. Um, and then you try to compare the United States, the most advanced military in the world, the one that spends more money on their military than the next 20 countries combined, to Iran on Palestinian si Palestine side. Um, these arguments are pathetic, um, and you're pathetic for, for believing them at this point. Uh, I, I'm not, nice time is over. Um, too many dead children for me to be polite about this. You're frankly wrong. Um, Palestine isn't a group of victims. You're pathetic and a loser. And don't listen to my podcast anymore because you're not welcome here. Uh, that goes for every other Zionist. Uh, currently listening to my voice, I don't need you. Get out. Uh, grow a conscience and learn, learn that ch baby murder is bad, maybe. I don't know. Figure it out. All right. Well, that's all I got to say this week. Uh, sorry that we ended on kind of, a, again, downer and hostile note. That's the world we live in. Uh, but recording will go on as scheduled, so I will see you all next week. My name is Daniel. I believe one day the end of lights will come. Until then, we fight. <laughs>